BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. California prison officials frequently fail to enforce mask requirements for prison staff and inmates to stop the spread of coronavirus. That's according to a report issued just yesterday by the California Office of the Inspector General. As of this week, 76 incarcerated persons and 10 members of the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation staff have died of COVID-19, and we're going to review the report. We're going to also discuss last week's state court order that San Quentin State Prison release or transfer half of its inmate population to combat the spread of the virus. And joining us, Julie Small, criminal justice and immigration reporter for KQED, and welcome, Julie. Good morning, Michael. Good morning to you. We'll also say good morning to Mark Levine, who joins us, assembly member for District 10, which covers Marin County and Southern Sonoma County. Assemblyman, good to have you with us. Thank you so much, Michael. And let me begin, Julie, if I may, with you. This uh, Inspector General's report came about as a result of a request uh, by House Speaker Anthony Rendon. Uh, What's in it, basically? Can you give us sort of uh, the highlights, if you would? Sure. Um, Basically, the Inspector General looked very closely at... um, you know, they'd heard a lot of complaints or, or and I've heard a lot of complaints. Any reporter who's talked to an inmate in any of our prisons right now has heard this. They were hearing that um, guards uh, and other uh, staff at the prisons were not always wearing their masks or maintaining social distancing. Um, and so they actually um, they go into to the prisons normally as a part of their monitoring work. And so they were able to confirm that that was happening at prisons all over the state. And then they also did an in-depth investigation where they went to five prisons, including San Quentin, and witnessed themselves, their own investigators, people not consistently applying the policy. Um, and, um, And the other big takeaway was that they think that the reason why this happened and was so prevalent is because there was a lax, you know, lax enforcement of these of these rules. These are basic safety protocols. But uh, out of 63,000 people who work for corrections, only seven people have been referred for discipline or investigation because they failed to wear a mask or or got too close to an inmate. And I should say, too, that inmates have been seen without not wearing their masks as well. And we also should say that there were literally hundreds of thousands of masks that were made available, right? That's right. The inmates themselves made them through uh, CalPIA, and uh, they had over you know 300,000 inmate uh, cloth masks that they distributed to staff and uh, inmates throughout the prison system. And that's the other big finding was we've been hearing you know accusations along the way that you know uh, from staff that they weren't getting adequate uh, protective equipment or masks. Uh, the inspector general said you know they did actually a pretty good job with that, but they just didn't follow through on their own orders uh, and make sure that people were adhering to the rules. 
And what about the effect of this, uh, particularly since uh, there was a, the CDCR actually received the ruling and uh, they pretty much disagreed with it? Uh, the ruling, they on this on the report from the inspector general, their response has been kind of muted, just basically saying uh, we would take this seriously and we're going to continue monitoring our policies and adjusting them according to what's happening. Um, but they did object to the ruling. I think what you're referring to is yeah. The I jumped ahead of myself here for yeah. a moment. I was thinking no, about the okay. ruling, <laughs> the ruling yeah. on San Quentin, which I wanted to go to next, actually. But uh, any sense of where this is going to head or what it, what kind of consequences it's going to have? Well, I'm I talking again about the IG report. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, we will see more people written up or, um, or disciplined in some fashion for not following the rules. I think, uh, you know, hopefully um, people will take this more seriously. Uh, I mean, I should say, too, it's like it's not, you know, the majority, the vast majority of staff that work inside CDCR are going to follow these rules. They want to be safe. They want to protect their families. They want to protect their coworkers. But there was this significant minority. Um, you know, they interviewed a, a thousand, they got surveys back from a thousand people who worked at San Quentin. And of that thousand, a, a 30% of them had seen somebody, a coworker, an inmate, not wearing a mask and getting too close to someone else, not enforcing the social distancing. And there's poor ventilation, uh, extraordinary close living quarters, uh, inadequate uh, uh, sense of, and inadequacy is the only word to use here, of uh, making sure that there's some physical distance or following the protocols. All this comes down to Quentin and what's going on there and the order uh, with respect to Quentin. And let's get up to date with you on that, Julie, if you could. Right. Uh, so there were uh, dozens of inmates at San Quentin who uh, filed a um, habeas uh, corpus petitions with the, the, the state court saying, uh, you know, we want to get out of here. We think our lives are in danger. Um, one of them in particular uh, was uh, named Ivan von Steich, and um, he's 64 years old. He'd actually petitioned the court in May before the virus as, was actually at San Quentin. Um, he was, you know, housed in a, a cell with another man who is 65, who eventually caught the virus, and prison officials kept them together. Um, he said that his Eighth Amendment rights had been violated, and the appeals court uh, agreed, and he said that prison officials had showed deliberate indifference to his welfare and inmates uh, at San Quentin. Uh, and one of the reasons why they that conclusion was because there was actually, as many people know who've been following along what's been happening at San Quentin, you had UCSF uh, medical experts and epidemiologists and also people from Berkeley Amend that went into San Quentin as the outbreak was just beginning and made recommendations. And one of the fundamental recommendations they made was you need to, to get about half the people out of here so that inmates can, can have distance from each other so they won't be breathing on each other in the same cell. And, and, and prison officials chose not to do that. All this, of um, course, goes back to late May with the botched transfer of... Uh, inmates from California Institution for Men in Chino. San Quentin uh, is COVID-free now, but at the same time, they've got to do something, and uh, uh, the ongoing concerns are, are there. Um, let me um, actually bring the assemblyman into this. Uh, we all, Along with Julie, in this segment, we have Julie Small, uh, criminal justice and immigration reporter for KQED. We have Mark Levine, assembly member for District 10 which covers Marin County and Southern Sonoma. And Assemblyman Levine has, uh, well, spoken very uh, strongly about 
San Quentin. And I want to get you on record here, Mark Levine, uh, especially since uh, in April you were talking about a site-specific plan to prevent uh, the spread of COVID-19. And uh, essentially, um, <laughs> where did it go? It's, it's not as though we weren't aware that a pandemic was occurring around the globe and in California. All the warning signs were there. Public health officials, doctors, even advocates early in the pandemic cited concerns about our state prison system, which from the very beginning exhibited uh, a leadership culture that was either unwilling or incapable of doing anything to protect their staff and the incarcerated people in their care from COVID-19. We called for a plan way ahead of time, uh, both to protect the, the health of, of, of the people working in, and living in the prison, but also to protect against increasing rates of local hospitalization. Many prisons, including San Quentin, have lower levels of, of beds in hospitals nearby. And there was great concern about a prison outbreak of COVID-19 along with a community spread of the, of the disease that we were unprepared for. And it took uh, well over a month after COVID entered San Quentin uh, with the botched Chino transfer before they decided to even plan for an alternate care site at the San Quentin State Prison facility so that it would not overwhelm local hospitals. They ended up shipping San Quentin uh, people throughout the state because there were not enough beds even here in the Bay Area. Yeah, your warnings came early on, and so did warnings from Matt Willis, uh, who essentially is a public health officer, and uh, talked about uh, the fact that action really needed to be taken, and it wasn't. Uh, where does culpability lie for this? I, I mean, the federal receiver, Clark Kelso's name has come up uh, repeatedly as acting too quickly, particularly on Chino, and in fact, I, he called it uh, a self-inflicted wound and said, you know, the, the buck stops with me, but... He's still there, and presumably nobody's to answer for this? Well, I, I do want to credit uh, Dr. Willis, who I remember he called me the night of the botched transfer, saying there are people exhibiting symptoms, even as they're on the bus waiting to get into San Quentin. And San Quentin doesn't know how to even test everyone, the 121 prisoners that were on the bus. Uh, and that is what sparked the, the outbreak that, that occurred, even after we were warning them to, to have a plan. I called for Kelso to be replaced. This is a court-appointed uh, person in charge of the health care of our prison system. He has taken responsibility for the decision that led to that botched transfer and, of course, the death of 28 inmates at San Quentin, one staff member. And the, the judge, Judge Tiger, has not decided to replace Kelso. We need to look at that. We've already seen the secretary of uh, the Department of uh, corrections and rehabilitation retire and be replaced but the culture uh, the unwillingness to plan is, is something that we need to to look at very closely because the pandemic will be with us for a long time to come now you've called this the worst public health uh, disaster in state prison history and i think that's accurate it's uh, there's a lot of willful negligence um, really, again, engaged by the kind of language you used here that I think is appropriate. I want to bring Julie Small back, though. Uh, Julie, talk about your interview with the lawyer in the San Quentin case. 
Yeah, I mean, um, the attorney for Von Steich is Richard Brauker, and he's with the First District Appellate Project. And, uh, you know, when he got called by the court to actually do a supplemental brief on this, that's when, he, you know, they were able to see that there had been adequate warning about uh, the need for um, lowering the population. And he's hoping that, uh, you know, that this ruling will be a wake-up call for California's prisons to take COVID-19 seriously. It's already killed 70 people. It's infected more than 15,000, and it keeps coming. It keeps rolling through the prison, and it can't be wished away. We can't pretend that we're handling it. You know, the notion that the CECR was able to take care of things in San Quentin is outrageous. I mean, the, the, the virus won. It ripped through the prison and infected three-quarters of the people there. And that's going to happen virtually anywhere. And, you know, the other point is that it is happening in other parts of the state. You know, these habeas corpus petitions by inmates have been sent to courts all over the state. But this is the first court that that upheld it and said, hey, we have to look into this. This sounds like a serious problem. we got to do something about it. And what do you suspect Assemblyman is being done about it at this point? You still got prison population overall, about 25 percent of, uh, of what the capacity is supposed to be, and uh, COVID is raging. So CDCR likes to state that they've released tens of thousands or reduced the population of our prisons by tens of thousands, almost 30,000. But we've also at the very same time stopped intake from our county jails. And so the numbers that we're actually working with uh, and, and what that decrease in population looks like, while it's good that we have done that, it doesn't show that we've been radically cohorting or releasing or moving uh, people in a way that protects against the, the type of distancing that's being recommended. And we see in other prisons like Avenal, where nearly 2,900 people have become infected with COVID-19. It's not just San Quentin, it's a system-wide issue. And we've seen time and again with the 35 different prison facilities that CDCR is unwilling or incapable to have a plan to make sure that each prison is safe from COVID-19. And it's, I understand it's almost impossible to protect against complete, uh, completely shutting the infection out of any prison. There are people coming and going. But what we saw at San Quentin, even after the outbreak, was that some people who, who you know, are incarcerated had jobs like janitors or, or were cooks, and they were able to move from cell block to cell block even after the outbreak occurred. We need to make sure that radical cohorting is taking place to make sure that we're able to protect against infection. And as Judge Klein said, we have to look very closely at having the population. Uh, and he had recommended looking more closely at who should be released. There are seniors, elderly, medically vulnerable people who have spent decades behind bars. And the studies have shown that if they've been in prison for 25 years, they're physically and mentally very different people that you can look at their you know, cases, determine who is a, at risk for recidivism and, and make a good case that some of these medically vulnerable could be found a, a home somewhere else where they could be adequately sheltered and protected from COVID-19. Well, if you would like to join us in this discussion, if you have questions or comments, we invite you to do that now. You can do it by phoning us at our toll-free number. The number to call is 866-733-6786. We do want to hear from you, so please feel 
Free to join us now at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. Julie Small with us, criminal justice and immigration reporter for KQED and Mark Levine, assembly member for District 10, which covers Marin and Sonoma counties. And the listener writes, I don't understand why transferring inmates is a solution. Wasn't San Quentin virus-free until inmates were transferred in? What prisons in California are not overcrowded? Indeed, (laughs) Uh, Julie, let me go to you on this. Uh, San Quentin was virus-free before the transfer. You want to respond to that, listener? Right, and that that is one of the big concerns, and I think that's why attorneys and advocates for inmates have been pushing more for these releases than trying to, you know, it's a Rubik's Cube. Whenever uh, corrections has to move anybody anywhere, they have to make sure they've got space somewhere else. They have to transport them, and and yeah, every time you transport or transfer someone, you raise all kinds of risks, and they're still, you know, we don't know how great the protocols are in terms of are they going to test right before they leave this time instead of, you know, two weeks before they left when in the case with San Quentin. Um, yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, one of the things that this, uh, the, the order says, uh, the San Quentin release order says that if the state can't manage to reduce the population at San Quentin, they're ordered to uh, release inmates over age 60 who've served at least 25 years of their sentences and are eligible for parole. Um, I think, uh, but I think, you know, the typical response that we'll see from CDCR is that they're going to, they're going to look for the low hanging fruit. They're going to do the least, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a sensitive, it's sensitive when you release anyone early, um, especially somebody who has, you know, had committed a violent crime. But, you know, here we have judges saying this has gotten so bad that you have to release people even who had violent crimes in their past if they've served, you know, at least uh, 25 years of their sentences. It still brings up a question about public safety. And Mark Levine, let me go to you on this, because there is concern about convicts with serious violent offense being released about 30%, in fact, the convicts are serving a life sentence. It's important to look at every every incarcerated person as an individual, determine you know what was that crime, how is justice served, what is their rehabilitative path, how many decades have they been there, what is their physical uh, con- and medical condition. All of that needs to be considered. But we also know that public health officers have gotten us and gotten the Bay Area to, to where we are today, where you know, we have lower rates of infection compared to other parts of our country. And yet within the walls of our prison system, public health officers have no sway at all. And CDCR does not have a public health officer that helps to make decisions or has decision-making authority to protect public health within those prison walls. And that needs to change within the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. That will help guide us through the second wave of the pandemic as it comes, just as it has guided our communities outside the prison walls. All right, we've got seconds left, but I want to get a caller on. Barbara, go ahead, please, quickly, if you could. I'm wondering if the infection within San Quentin endangers the civilians outside the prison in areas like Larkspur. Response from you, Mark Levine? Certainly the concern for hospitalization is one of the leading concerns we have because whether it's Marin Health Medical Center, Kaiser and Terra, uh, Nevada Community Hospital, there are limited, there's limited bed capacity. And while they've shut down the alternate care site at San Quentin, there's nowhere really for uh, people to go when they need, uh, you know, uh, help like a ventilator uh, in a hospital bed. And so there's no plan um, in the future as to how quickly they can, you know, create these alternate care sites again. Uh, and whether those rates of community spread 
will compete with the rates of prison infection where that limits our hospital's abilities to respond. Well, we'll leave it there. And many thanks to you, Mark Levine, for joining us. Mark Levine, again, is Assembly Member for District 10. And thanks to Julie Small, who is a criminal justice and immigration reporter for KQED. And thank you, our listeners. We would not be here without you in another hour of Forum Up Ahead with Mina Kim. Thank you for being a part of this hour. And for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.